Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio, powered by Postano. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. Glad to be with you. We have a great show planned for you this week. Steve Skinner the CEO of Kemper Sports. We're going to preview the U.S. Open, which we played for the first time in the Pacific Northwest. Chambers Bay, a Kemper Sports golf course, will host the Open. It's one of a kind course. It may bring the best golfers in the world to their knees. We'll tell you more. We'll even get a winning score from Steve Skinner, what he thinks will be the winning score for the U.S. Open. That's coming up on our show. And then Sam Amick, NBA reporter for USA Today, will discuss the NBA Finals, some head coaching moves in the NBA, and this summer's NBA free agent market. We'll talk some NBA with Sam Amick from USA Today. I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good, and uh, I was thinking, where'd basketball go? And then finally the NBA Finals showed up. (laughs) Boy, I'll tell you what. The layoff between the conference finals and the finals is just, it feels like the NBA has lost some momentum. I'm sure the series is going to be a good series. You've got two marquee names and Steph Curry, the reigning MVP, and LeBron James, the four-time MVP. So, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people watching. But, boy, to take that much time off really stinks. Yeah, it did, and it was just like it was that feeling like is the season over? And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, it's back on. So I'm excited for the series because it's uh, you know it's I like having Golden State in there, a team that hasn't been there forever. So it's nice to see somebody different. Uh, it, they're a fun team to watch. Good crowds on both sides. So it, I think it'll be a fun series, and I'm thinking it could go seven. Yeah, as we'll discuss with Sam Amick from USA Today. Um, you know, this is a, a marquee series. You've got two franchises. The Warriors haven't been to the finals in 40 years. The Cleveland Cavaliers have never won an NBA championship, and it's well documented how Cleveland has yearned for a championship in any sport. And that's why, you know, LeBron went back to Cleveland, one of the big reasons why. So, you know, someone's going to come out of this feeling pretty good about themselves. I think it's going to go six or seven as well. I think the Warriors, at the end of the day, play in a tougher conference. I think they're a more complete team. Um, Cleveland is missing Kevin Love. Kyrie Irving is hurt. LeBron is going to have to have an all-time great performance in this series to be able to beat the Warriors. And you look at how San Antonio shut LeBron down last year in the finals, Griggs. I think it could be more the same because, you know, you've got Draymond Green, you've got Andre Iguodala, you've got Klay Thompson, several pretty good Warrior defenders who can take turns on LeBron. And who else is going to beat you on, on Cleveland other than LeBron? Yeah, I think you're right. And also, on the other side of the ball, Golden State has so many different offensive players, they can spread it out. And then on defense, too, it's like they've got so many good players. Who's going to be the guy playing uh, LeBron? But then there's, there's uh, what's his name in the middle, the big guy? Uh, on, Andrew right Bogut, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's right there to, to stuff the middle. And I think uh, I think their defensively could, could be better than uh, Cleveland's side of the ball, too. But, I mean, both teams are great. They've made it there, so it'll be fun to see. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting because Cleveland has several free agents at the end of this season as well. So you've got uh, J.R. Smith, who's actually been pretty good since coming over from New York, uh, Iman Shumpert, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love. So is this LeBron's best chance to win a title in Cleveland in the next few years, or will Cleveland be able to resign all of these guys, and could we be looking at the start of a five-year window where Cleveland is really dominant? That's going to be an interesting storyline as well. But, uh, you know, just a few years ago, the owner of the Warriors came out to center court when they retired Chris Mullins' jersey, and he got booed. And now three years later, look at basketball in Golden State. They asked for patience. They asked for belief and faith when they got rid of Mark Jackson at the beginning of the season and brought in Steve Kerr, who had never coached at any level before but has won five NBA championships. It's all paid off for Golden State. And then on the other side, you've got David Blatt, who is also a first-year coach. And the moves that goal are that Cleveland has made some big trades, Timothy Mozgov and, and the New York Knicks players that we just mentioned, those have paid off for Cleveland because they probably wouldn't be in this position unless they had pulled the trigger on those deals at midseason. Yeah, it's 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 cool how these teams have built. And like you said, Golden State where they came from nothing just years ago and now I mean I think they're one of the best crowd bases around and they that you can tell the fans and the the town is behind them. And uh, that's fun to watch in Cleveland too. Obviously, we've heard you know when LeBron said he was coming back, uh, you know season tickets went through the roof, and you got two clubs that are selling out arenas and have a, a fan base that's excited about it. So it'll be fun to see. Well, I tweeted out this week: Has there ever been a more profitable mea culpa apology in the history of sports than Dan Gilbert apologizing last summer as a way to open the door for LeBron James to come back to Cleveland? This is a team that when LeBron left was irrelevant. They were in the lottery. They didn't even sniff the playoffs. And then Dan Gilbert apologizes to LeBron. LeBron comes back home to Cleveland, Akron. And you know now you've got this franchise that has not only grown in franchise value, but you can't get a ticket to the games. They're in the NBA Finals. It's just really amazing how one player can become a corporation in and of himself and can turn around the fate of a franchise so quickly in, in one year. Yeah, it is crazy. I mean, you look back, and I remember we did a show right after the whole LeBron announced he was coming back, and it's just like we were reading all the tweet- Twitters and all this stuff about how season tickets instantly were like sold out. It's crazy. I mean, literally, it's just, it's his name and one one little move, and all of a sudden, they're relevant. It's crazy. So are you watching any of the Stanley Cup finals, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Tampa Bay Lightning? Uh, I'm sure the league would have loved to have seen uh, maybe a different matchup. Tampa Bay, not the biggest market, but you know, I think there will be plenty of viewers. I'm not sure it will get as many as last year when you had the L.A. and the New York market with the Rangers and the Kings. But uh, game one, pretty good. And I think this sets up to be a, a pretty solid Stanley Cup finals. I agree. I love hockey, and I grew up uh, here in Portland. We have the, the Portland Winterhawks, uh, who look like the Blackhawks. So I'm, <laughs> it's like it's the same team on the ice almost when you look at them. But I'm a hockey guy, so yeah, I'm watching. And uh, it was a fun game last night. You know, I mean, a little comeback in the end there to uh, to win the game for Chicago, and uh, I'm I'm following it. So it's fun. Greg, some big big sports business headlines this week. This one may be as big as anything we've seen in the last decade. FIFA president Sepp Blatter, who was reelected just last week to a fifth term, which most people shook their heads and they were like, wow, what is it going to take for this guy to leave office? Well, this week he resigned amid several controversies and investigations, 
over $100 million worth of bribe payments are linked to his tenure that have been uncovered just so far. I mean, I think this is going to get far deeper and, and far worse for Blatt and for FIFA. He's being investigated by the FBI. And I think this is only step one for FIFA, as I tweeted out this week at SB Radio. They need to clean house. They need to find someone reputable to lead their powerful organization. And they need to reexamine uh, Qatar and even Russia hosting the World Cup. I mean, think about the trickle-down effect on this, Griggs. All these cities that put up millions, tens of millions of dollars just to go through the bidding process that didn't get World Cup. And then you have a city like Qatar who everyone shook their head and they're like, wait a minute. It's like 122 degrees when they're going to be playing this. The World Cup would be taking place in November, which is right in the midst of the prime European soccer season. So that would eat into their season. It just didn't make sense on any level. And now you see that, I mean, look at all these bribes that have taken place. Seth Blatter may be one of the most corrupt uh, commissioner slash leader slash presidents that we've seen lead a sports organization in decades. So I think most people are saying good riddance, glad that we can turn the page. But there's probably not going to be a new president in place until later this year. So what does FIFA do in the meantime? How bad do these investigations by the FBI get for the people who were involved? What's uncovered? Will there be any links to sports companies, uh, other people? This is going to be pretty widespread. And at the end of it, Griggs, there's going to be a really juicy book to be written. I was going to say, everything is on the record, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, the the paper trail, and, oh, man, I mean, this is just going to get ugly. And like you said, FBI is involved already, which, you know, that's not going to help them. But, yeah, it, it's just going to be one of these stories where uh, it is compelling. It's compelling news, I think. And obviously him resigning five days after whatever he was he was reelected means something's going on. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely some dirt and uh, the briberies, and it involves the whole world. That's a big thing, too. It's not just one nation or one state. It, I mean, this is FIFA. It's, it's all over the world. So it's a very interesting story. It'll be interesting to see how they rebuild because uh, obviously they need to rebuild. It's a big, uh, it's a big property, especially across the world. So, uh, yeah, it's a crazy story. I did some interviews this week, and I said you know, two things really led to this resignation. One is I think this investigation is going to become bigger and bigger, and Seth Blatter saw that. The other is you had corporate sponsors who really started pressuring FIFA, Coke, Adidas, others, saying, look, we're not going to align our brand with a tainted FIFA brand. Tons of controversy around this. Now there's like documentation that there were bribe payments. That's bad news for your organization. And corporations don't want to be linked to those types of corporations. So I think those were the two biggest things that led to Blatter's resignation. But, you know, we'll see who FIFA puts in there next. I'm sure we'll be discussing this on upcoming editions of Sports Business Radio. The other big news of the week, this weekend, Griggs, the Belmont Stakes, American Pharaoh is going for the first Triple Crown since 1978. And, you know, we had this last year with California, California Chrome and California Chrome couldn't get it done. American Pharaoh stud fees, get this, Griggs, already signed in excess of $20 million. So the horse is going to enjoy life, and the owners are going to enjoy life, win, lose, or draw at the Belmont Stakes. And then interestingly enough, American Pharaoh's owners signed a marketing deal with Monster Energy Drink. So when you see American Pharaoh racing this weekend at the Belmont Stakes, you're going to see the horse adorned with all kinds of Monster Energy Drink logos. Not quite sure that 
I understand. Like, I get that Monster Energy sees the value of being associated with a potential triple crown winner and that horse would be, you know, photographed and videoed and you want your logo all over that. I get that part. But when's the last time a horse drank Monster Energy drink? I was just going to say, is he, is his, uh, his bucket full of Monster Energy drink over the sidelines? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, is this going to be sold to horses around the country? If American Pharaoh wins, they'll all be drinking Monster Energy drink. So, like, I, again, I get the correlation and I get how you want to capitalize on the branding on the horse, but there's not really going to be a horse drinking Monster Energy drink. So I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there. But look, it's good for the horse's owners. And they're swimming in money, not only in the prize fees they've earned, but again, I just told you about the stud fees they've earned, and uh, they're set to be very, very wealthy. Yeah, it's exciting, and I'm not a big horse guy, but when it gets to this point and you have a potential Triple Crown winner, um, I'll be tuning in for sure, and it'll be interesting to see if it happens, because, I mean, it's been a long time, since 1978, which is kind of shocking, because I know there's been a bunch that have won the first two. 23. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's almost half of it has been had the opportunity, and this last one is always the tough one. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how it comes through. It'd be fun to see him win it. So American Pharaoh, for you betting folks out there, a 3-5 to five favorite at this point, heavy favorite. And, uh, you know, we'll see if American Pharaoh can get it done. I think it'd be exciting for horse racing. It might inject some life into the sport. So I'm sure a lot of people rooting for American Pharaoh this weekend. Griggs, I'm back from another successful sports PR summit in New York City. It was our third. I want to thank Pistano for terrific social media visuals around our event. Get this, 88,000 social media impressions we garnered in one day around our event. Tons of social media conversation. And again, a lot of that is because Pistano is at our event. We've got these great big screens. You can see the tweets coming up. People in the room are tweeting. People outside the room are tweeting. We did our event at Sports Illustrated in downtown Manhattan. Thank you to them for hosting us. Great panel that I got to moderate with uh, executive editor John Wartime, our good friend, managing editor Chris Stone, and the ever uh, Richard Deitch. I had not met him before. Reporter. He covers sports media. Really a great follow on Twitter if you don't follow him at Richard Deitch. But I had not met him in person before, and he was fantastic on the panel as well. Really enjoyed having Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall, who was our guest at our last Sports Business Radio Roadshow at Arizona State. He happened to be in New York, so he was there. Josh Rawich, who's also with the Arizona Diamondbacks, he was there. Tiki Barber, Derek Mason, and Mike Bass had a great panel discussion with Rick Buecher. And you know, Griggs, one of the things I really try and aim for when I put people on these panels is you may not be the biggest name, but I want your insight and I want your candor. And Derek Mason and Tiki Barber really took the NFL to task. And they said many things on the sports and society panel. But one of the things that really stuck with me was they basically said everything that we've seen in the NFL in the last year, especially on the domestic violence front, that's been going on for years, and they found it hypocritical that the NFL is just now doing PSAs and just now you know, putting an effort out there to make it look like that they're concerned about this. So I thought that was really interesting from two former NFL players and two very good former NFL players at that. Yeah, and the thing I love that you do with these uh, sports pair summits is it's not you're getting these people together and you're hearing stuff and learning things that you don't hear on the major networks or anywhere else. And you get behind-the-scenes stuff from people that are in the industry, that have been in the industry, that have played in the industry, that have 
paid for the industry and you're getting all this stuff in one room and it's it's exciting because it's like uh it's it's you're overstimulated there's so much cool and interesting information out there yeah it was fantastic uh if you want to go to sportsprsummit.com sportsprsummit.com you can find uh our photos of the event uh you can also follow them on twitter or us sports pr summit on Twitter at Sports PR Summit on Twitter. So um, good stuff. Look forward to our next event, and uh, it'll be fun. All right, coming up next, we are going to talk with Steve Skinner, who is the CEO of Kemper Sports U.S. Open coming up. It starts on June 18th, and it's going to be played for the first time in the Pacific Northwest. Chambers Bay, a one of a kind course, is going to host the event. We'll learn more about Chambers Bay. What can U.S. Open players expect when they tee it up at this year's U.S. Open? I'm Brian Berger. He's Brian Griggs. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. So, no, no, honey, I'm good. I can have another, but I probably should not. I got somebody at home, and if I stay, I might not leave Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pastano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pastano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pastano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Steve Skinner. He's the CEO of Kemper Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Steve Skinner 211. You can find Kemper Sports on Twitter at Kemper Sports. Steve, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good, Brian. Thanks for having me. So you guys manage Chambers Bay, and they will play host to the U.S. Open starting on June 18th. You host one of my favorite courses I've ever played, Bandon Dunes, the entire resort there. Let's start with... Chambers Bay. I'm reading all types of reviews for Chambers Bay and the course. I saw Tiger Woods got there on Monday and snuck in a practice round. I look at the pictures and it looks like it's going to be one of the most visually stunning courses to ever host a U.S. Open. But for our audience who may not be familiar with Chambers Bay, give us some tidbits. Well, it's a a fabulous piece of property, uh, and I I think you're right. It's really going to be unique. It's going to be the first U.S. Open uh, played on an all-fescue golf course. And uh, not a a tree on the course, built in an old uh, quarry uh, with a lot of movement. Uh, The the weather's been great this winter, so the golf course is in absolutely fabulous shape. So we're hoping it plays fast and firm, and it's really going to be a challenge, I think, for the best golfers in the world. Uh, it should be uh, fun to watch. So people would hear not a tree on the course, no water. Wow, that's got to be pretty easy. But again, when you see the pictures and if you've played 
you know, link style courses and you mentioned the fescue grass. Where will the biggest challenges for these pro golfers come into play? I, I think the biggest challenges will be the greens and, and all the subtle undulations in the greens. When we had the U.S. Amateur out there several uh, years ago, it was really fun to watch. Really, And Mike Davis, the executive director of the USJ, has said it best. It's really going to be a thinking person's golf course. And you're really going to have to work your way around the course and play different angles, play different uh, the different parts of the green. So I think you'll see a lot of... Uh, a lot of wild movement. It'll create a lot of excitement and a lot of talk, uh, I'm sure. I was reading a Wall Street Journal story about Chambers Bay and some of the things that caught my eye. Um, the opening hole is going to flip between playing as a par five and a par four on alternate days. And then um, you're going to have tilted tee boxes potentially. And at number 15, which is a par three, you could have a yardage of 123 yards one day and 246 yards another day. Maybe talk a little bit about the manipulation of the course for the U.S. Open to really keep the players off balance. Yeah, and I think that's what excited. And the USGA handles all that, the setup of the course, and it's a it's a big piece of property, a big course. You can go back as far as almost 8,000 yards if you want to stretch it all the way back. Uh, and, you know, there's, it's right on the Puget Sound, so we'll get some uh, different wind patterns over the days. So it really uh, harkens back, I think, some of the courses in Scotland and Ireland in terms of the weather playing a big factor uh, and can really set up in any number of different ways to uh, give different shots. It's, you know, I think it's unique because you won't go around the golf course with the same shot time after time on number one or number 15 or any of those uh, holes. So it's really, you know, Mike Davis and, and his crew from the USGA do an absolute fabulous job of setting up the course and creating excitement and a lot of great stories. So uh, it'll be unique. I think people really be surprised who have not been there to uh, see it on TV. Now, this is the first U.S. Open in the Pacific Northwest, as you mentioned earlier. Why do you think this is the first time after all these years that the Pacific Northwest is, is finally getting a U.S. Open? You know, that's a great question. I don't know uh, the answer to that. I know the USGA, they actually awarded uh, Chambers Bay the U.S. Open, you know, in the same year it opened for play. So uh, they were very excited for it. I, I think some of it has to do with the uh, quality of the course, but also the size of the footprint. There's a, a big park around it, a lot of room for hospitality and movement and getting a lot of fans uh, through the golf course. So, uh, And I know it's everyone in the Pacific Northwest couldn't be more excited. The tickets sold out in a hurry, and the whole community is, uh, is head over heels uh, with excitement for, for the event coming to town. Now, I know the USGA manages the U.S. Open, but what will the role of Kemper Sports be in your team for the U.S. Open? We will, our agronomy team, uh, that's been, uh, working there since day one, since before it opened, uh, is involved and in charge of maintaining the golf course and have been working tireless really around the clock for the last year and a half, uh, getting the course, uh, ready for play. And our management team, uh, on staff is responsible for various areas of the operation, uh, working with the volunteers and working closely with the, uh, USGA. So, you know, our, our, we're excited. Our company's been involved with the project and with Pierce County, which owns the golf course, and Robert Trent Jones' uh, group that designed the golf course. We've really been uh, involved in the design phase all the way up to the opening. So this is really a culmination of uh, probably a decade or more of work uh, on this project. 
Well, it's exciting. I can't wait to watch it. Um, another one of the courses that you manage, which I've had the pleasure of playing a few times, Bandon Dunes, it was just announced they're going to host the 2020 U.S. Amateur. I'm excited because, you know, I know Bandon Dunes has received visitors from all over the world. I always tell people how the airport used to get no traffic and now you see all the <laughs> private planes flying in and it's just, it's one of the most well done resorts I've ever been to. Um, from A to Z, from the golf to the caddies to the food, just everything there was well thought out. And it's got to be exciting that uh, something, the magnitude of the U.S. Amateur is going to be coming there. Yeah, it really is. And Mike Kaiser, who's the developer and owner of uh, Bandon Dunes and really the visionary behind it, we've been fortunate to work with him for more than two decades now and, and bringing his vision to life. And Bandon Dunes is, is all about the celebration of, of public golf and the amateur golfer. So, you know, having the 2020 uh, U.S. Amateur there is just really special for everyone who's been involved. And it just has four great golf courses. We've had five USGA events over the years, and each one, each of the golf courses have been used at uh, various times. So it'll be very exciting to see which courses the uh, USGA picks for both the stroke play and the match play. And uh, I think uh, I think the players are just going to love it. Steve Skinner, the CEO of Kemper Sports, is my guest. One of the other parts of Bandon Dunes that I really enjoyed the last time I was there was the new par three course, which I guess it isn't so new anymore, but it's relatively new. Do you think that's a trend? Because what I loved is playing the full eighteen holes, but then you know socializing and taking my putter and my pitching wedge out and and playing the par three in a more casual manner. Do you think that's going to be a trend for courses around the country? I, you know, I think so. I think it, it adds another option for people. It's been very popular uh, as an added amenity. Uh, the added benefit for the preserve, the uh, it's 13-hole par-3 course, is all the proceeds from its uh, operation go to the uh, Wild Rivers Coastal Alliance, which is a not-for-profit organization that reinvests in the uh, Oregon South Coast community and in various environmental initiatives. But I think people are looking as the golf business kind of changes and as the millennials uh, come into being and people's uh, attitudes and lifestyles change, I think people are looking for more fun ways to engage in the game of golf and not every round has to be a four and a half hour, four, four and a half hour round on an 18-hole golf course. And for people who have not been out there to preserve may have some of the best views uh, in all of the South Coast uh, and certainly on the resort. It's I, I agree with you. It's a fun uh kind of afternoon or early morning round uh, and uh, to complement kind of a full 18 holes. Let's talk about the general state of the golf industry and, and where it's headed. As you just mentioned, and I've talked about this on Sports Business Radio many times, I always say we live in the 140-character world where everyone has ADD because of Twitter. You know, you see Major League Baseball trying to increase pace of play so the games aren't as long. You know, maybe someone doesn't want to spend four and a half hours, five hours playing golf. What are some other ways golf is marketing itself to younger people saying, hey, you know, this is something you should be interested in? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think as an industry, we've really uh, been trying to embrace uh, different ways to engage in the game of golf, whether it's nine hole play, whether it's, you know, six holes early in the morning. We've started running a lot of golf clinics for beginners and even more experienced players with maybe a half hour clinic 
and then three holes of golf uh, get done in, you know, an hour and a half instead of uh, four hours. So I think there's more opportunities, you know, more time at the range, more programs at the range, family golf, you know, uh, nine holes late in the afternoon and dinner. So, you know, I think as uh, the industry evolves and as a new generation of golfers come along, if you tell a lot of millennials that, you know, they have to spend five hours in any one place, they uh, will bounce off the walls. So getting them to come out and play in an hour and a half or two hours and have a drink or two and then go uh, spend time with their family, I think is, is really more attractive and is a big part of the future of the game. I'm an interesting case study. I've got a 10 and a half year old daughter who absolutely loves golf. Oh, that's great. And, you know, one of the challenges is she plays soccer and she does other things and um, just finding the time to go out and either hit range balls or go play nine holes. Um, I know there's also the challenge of finding the right programs for kids but you know i see her as being a female and a golfer and i know golf has had a little bit of a challenge attracting females to the sport too so i guess as a parent what can i do with her to get her more involved at the junior level you know i think uh that's a that's a great question i have a uh, 16 or 17 year old son and 15 year old daughter and try to encourage them to play as much as possible. But as you say, they're so scheduled now, so many activities, it's hard to get them really uh, into the game. But, you know, I think encouraging uh, young people to play, to do whatever they uh, like to do on the golf course, whether that's driving the golf cart or (laughs) putting or hitting balls at the range and really getting – kind of everyone's thinking away golf doesn't have to be 18 holes and and four hours plus round you know playing golf can involve any of those things i mean one of the things uh <clears throat> that was added at bandon dunes uh was a uh the punch bowl a huge uh putting course uh in addition to the preserve that uh is just another way to spend time with friends spend time with family and uh have some putts and you know maybe have a a drink or two and just enjoy yourself all around the game of golf. What about affordability around golf? I know that that has always been a challenge to some where they say, you know, oh, this is an elitist sport or I can't afford to play, so I'm just not going to play golf. I'm going to play something else. I argue, and, and I know there's lots of different options, but, you know, this isn't our grandfather's sport anymore. Um, what are some of the options if you don't want to join a country club or become a member, but you do want to regularly play golf? I tell you, one of the interesting things, it, there's never been a better time to be a, a golfer, a golf consumer in America. Over the last 20, 25 years, the industry built literally thousands of golf courses uh, and probably a couple thousand too many golf courses as demand has stayed relatively flat. So there are just innumerable opportunities uh, to play golf, a lot of very affordable uh, options, some great golf courses you can play for $25, dollars $35 uh, that uh, our grandfathers never would have dreamed of. So I think there's probably never been more options for the public daily fee golfer and someone who wants to take up the game and play it at a a very affordable, uh, great value. So before I let you go, what's next for Kemper Sports? Again, we've talked about Chambers Bay. We've talked about Bannon Dunes. What are some other things that you have going on that people should know about? 
Well, we've got a lot of exciting uh, projects. Uh, there aren't too many projects being built in uh, in America these days, but we're very fortunate to uh, be a part of several of them. There's a uh, new course, a new Gil Hans course being built uh, called Mossy Oak down in uh, Mississippi, which will be a fabulous new course. Stream Song, which is another one of our resorts, is underway building its uh, third golf course, uh, also designed by uh, Gil Hans. And then uh, for the Bandon Dunes fans, uh, Mike Kaiser has started a new project in central Wisconsin called Sand Valley, uh, which the first golf course will be Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw design, uh, which they designed uh, Bandon Trails. And the second golf course will be designed by David McClay Kidd, who was the original designer of the first course at Bandon Dunes. So we have uh, those projects are keeping us busy, and uh, we just continue to grow and Kind of the prime summer golf season, so we're uh, we're busy uh, entertaining a lot of uh, golfers at our courses, and hopefully getting more people to uh, join the game every day. I had not heard about the new Mike Kaiser project in Wisconsin, so that's fantastic. I'm a huge Mike Kaiser fan because of what he's done at Bandon, so I can't wait to see how that turns out. Yeah, it's gonna, the first one's going to be walking only. It's on sand dunes in the middle of Wisconsin. Wow, spectacular piece of property. And uh, we'll really be about an hour and a half, two hours north of Madison, Wisconsin, and we'll be another uh, destination must-play golf resort. Are you ever just amazed? Like, I look at the Oregon coast where Bandon now sits and the vision of someone like Mike Kaiser and obviously the the designers, but are you ever amazed that, like, you can just find this piece of property and have the vision for it and go, this is what it's going to become, not only in phase one, but – you know, Bandon's built out into several phases after the initial phase. It really is, and, and Mike and, and Howard McKee, which was one of his, who was one of his original partners and a land designer, the vision they had, which almost you know twenty, twenty-five, maybe thirty years ago, when first seeing that property, is amazing. Every time I'm out there and you get along one of the holes on the coast and you look back at the resort, it's uh, it's truly remarkable and. Probably in our generation, maybe uh, one of the uh, best new golf uh, destinations built uh, for a long time. All right, before I let you go, I'm not going to ask you to pick a winner for the U.S. Open at Chambers (laughs) Bay because I know that's probably politically incorrect for you. But I am going to ask you to pick a score. What's the winning score going to be? For the U.S. Open champion at Chambers Bay. Wow, that's a uh, that's a great question. I will say it, it's interesting. I won't pick a winner, but as you mentioned, Tiger was out there yesterday and today, and Phil Mickelson uh, was there last week. And I agree with uh, Mike Davis when he says the winner will be someone who has spent the time on the course to really study it. You know, I think a lot will depend on the uh, on the weather and how hard the wind blows. But I will go with. Uh, Eight under for the uh, eventual winner. That's lower. See, I would thought you would say something closer to even par. From what I've been reading, it sounds like it's going to be a really challenging course. So eight under, uh, you know, that's that's going to be an exciting score for someone. Yeah, no, I think uh, I I could be way off, but uh, <laughs> these guys are so good, and if someone spends the time, I think uh, I think they can do it. But if the wind if the wind kicks up and they get it really fast and firm, uh, you know, all bets may be off. 
Well, it's going to be great. I can't wait to watch it. Steve Skinner, the CEO of Kemper Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Steve Skinner 211. You can follow Kemper Sports on Twitter at Kemper Sports. Thank you so much for the time and best of luck with the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. Hello, my name is Sophia Berger. I want to tell you about the Pixie Project. The Pixie Project matches pets to the right people. The Pixie Project takes pride in finding matches for both people and animals. The Pixie Project also offers low-cost veterinary assistance. My family worked with the Pixie Project to adopt our lovable puppy, Scotty. He's a great addition to our family. So if you get a dog or cat, kitten or puppy, you should go to the Pixie Project. To learn more about the Pixie Project, visit them at www.pixieproject.org. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Sam Amick. He has joined us on the show many times before. He does a terrific job covering the NBA for USA Today. You can follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Amick. That's A-M-I-C-K. Sam, how are you? Doing great, Brian. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, great to have you on the show again. Uh, we were just talking that you've... You lived and you uh, have been around the Bay Area for a long time, not quite in San Francisco, but more towards Sacramento. But what is the vibe of this NBA Finals appearance for the Warriors? It's been such a long time. What does it mean to that fan base? I mean, it's huge. I mean, as you can imagine, you're talking 40 years. And I did grow up down there. I grew up about 20 minutes outside of Oakland in a town called Pleasanton. And uh, it was kind of during the run TMC era and I mean as a little guy my takeaways and the things that I remember I was big in the Giants and baseball and the Niners and football and the Warriors were always kind of the sad sack franchise that that even though I liked hoops you know they were tough to get behind you know they had that one little stretch with Mitch Richmond and Chris Mullen and Tim Hardaway doing their thing but for the most part this was an organization they couldn't get it together and every time you heard about them you know it was probably a, a something uh, negative as far as you know the Chris Cohan days and and they just could not get it together. So as you can imagine, the locals are going nuts over this whole thing. Uh, you know, just a year ago, they were thrilled to have a team that was winning 51 games and even being a perennial playoff team. And so now the idea of being in the finals and trying to take on LeBron James, I think Warriors fans are ecstatic. We'll get to the finals in a minute, but as we're talking about momentum for the Warriors, we've seen what LeBron's return has meant to attendance and to business in the Cleveland area, but I know the Warriors are trying to build a new arena. This has got to help them build momentum for that new arena, right? Yeah, I think so, and it's also creating an interesting subplot of the finals in terms of you know, whether they remain on track in terms of uh, the arena and when they get it up and running. Um, you know, the days in Oakland are numbered. And so in a weird kind of way, it's, it's kind of neat, you know, for the locals, the idea that, you know, they could sneak in a title potentially before moving from Oakland to San Francisco is something that a lot of people locally are talking about. And then, yeah, to your point, I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt at all. The interest has never been higher in this team. You know, they the, the tickets fly off the shelves. And, you know, I even took my family to a game earlier this year, and it was four of us, and we sat in the nosebleeds. And I'll tell you this much. I mean, I, you know, it was not, it was not cheap. And these, this, you know, these tickets are hard to come by. 
Uh, and so in that regard, yeah, I mean, they've got a ton of momentum on the business side too. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, it's just interesting to see how this franchise has transformed, like you said, from Chris Cohan days, where many people look back on that as an embarrassing time in Warriors history to the ownership group that exists now. And you bring in someone like Jerry West to consult. They push the right button, obviously hiring Steve Kerr as a first time coach. Seems like all of their management decisions are paying dividends for them. Yeah, I mean, they've had the golden touch for a while here. And because the thing is, Brian, people forget it was not that long ago where, as you remember, you know, they make the trade with Monte Ellis going to Milwaukee, Andrew Bogut coming the Warriors' way, and Joe Lacob on the night that Chris Mullen was having his jersey retired, Joe Lacob gets up in front of the stands uh, at Oracle Arena and just gets mercilessly booed. Uh, you know, booed in the kind of way that you just don't often see in pro sports. You know, and, and uh, I think it was Mullen who was putting his hands up trying to get the fans to calm down. And to go from that to this, where that entire group is being celebrated for making all the right moves, you know, it's, it's something else. And it really, it's a number of moves where people, myself included, were skeptical of the different moves at the time and raising fair questions about the merits of it and what they were thinking. And then at almost every turn, it's paid off. I mean, just a year ago, you're talking Mark Jackson being fired. I'm writing a column at the time saying you better win 50-plus games or else this was the wrong move. Lo and behold, they win 67. You know, it's just unreal how – and it's even the moves that they haven't made that have paid off. They were going to trade for Kevin Love. Everybody who knows anything about the game thought that would probably be a wise move, a great move. Bring him on board, you know, stretch forward to to do things that uh, David Lee and Draymond Green couldn't do. Um, and, and then you'll be on your way when they decide not to make that move. Don't give up Clay Thompson. Don't give up Harrison Barnes. And then you've got this team that we're looking at here. Let's talk about Cleveland for a minute. Uh, I've said this before. I, I want to get your take on this. Has there ever been a more fruitful mea culpa, a more fruitful apology in the history of sports <laughs> than Dan Gilbert going and meeting with LeBron and saying, I'm sorry, come home. I mean, look at how this has worked out and how relevant they are, and they're back in the NBA Finals in just year one. No, it's unreal. I mean, it's absolutely unreal. And I even, to reflect on last July when we were covering free agency, and you knew that on paper Cleveland was a team that you had to pay attention to, but the human element that you're talking about, Brian, made it so hard to imagine LeBron going back because the the, the blood had was so bad. The the backstory was so poisonous. And, you know, you just kind of kept telling yourself, he wouldn't really do that. Would he? You know, I don't care how much he loves his home state. You know, I was there uh, the night that he went back to Cleveland for the first time in a Miami Heat jersey, and I'll never forget it. And I'm actually, I don't think I've, I haven't been back since that night. I'm looking forward to going back to Cleveland and, and seeing, you know, the 180 that's gone on there because there was so much venom when it comes to LeBron. And it wasn't just about basketball, it was who he is as a person, what he had done to that state. Uh, you know, I, obviously sports has the tendency to, to have people kind of act out of their minds and take things farther than they should be. And, and there was a lot of that at the time. And to see it go from that to this, where he's not only winning games and putting them back in championship position, but, you know, he's a, he's a great guy in the community. He's bringing a lot to that area economically uh, and his spirit and the way that he's kind of taking care of his home state has been a pretty cool little story. Well, and that's the thing for the NBA. The NBA is going to come out a winner no matter what, because either the Warriors or the Cavaliers are going to win this thing. And 
a city is going to win a championship for the first time in a long time in basketball. So, you know, I know the Cavs have never won an NBA championship. So, you know, from that standpoint, we've seen the dominance of the Spurs and the Heat and the Lakers and the Celtics and the Bulls. And it's kind of nice to have some new, fresh teams in there. No, it's very different. I mean, the, the joke that, you know, in the media circles that we've kind of been having fun with, you know, one way or another, a kid from Akron is going to win this <laughs> title because, you know, the little known fact about Steph Curry is that he actually was born in Akron, Ohio. Right. Uh, LeBron's hometown. Now, he was only there for a short little spell. His dad, Del Curry, ended up getting taken in the expansion draft, uh, you know, after that one season they spent in Cleveland. Uh, but that's where he began. And then, you know, we all know LeBron's story and what he's meant to Akron, his home state. But you're right. It's, it, you know, it's pretty unreal. And I don't remember the specifics of that stat, but, the, you know, the number about how it's been X amount of years uh, that somebody named either Tim Duncan or Kobe Bryant or, you know, guys of that caliber uh, had been in the finals or something else. And to have the new blood and, like you said, a fan base that's just going to be, you know, head over heels if their team wins it is going to be fun. There's a lot of comparisons for a long time. LeBron James, Michael Jordan. Little known fact, I was actually uh, working for Nike at the time, the Jordan Capital Classic. I got to see the first in-person meeting ever between MJ and LeBron. That was pretty interesting to watch. Cool. But, you know, MJ's 6-0 and in the finals, and that's yep. always going to stand. LeBron is... You know, he, he's lost twice in the finals and he's been there four times. This is his, uh, actually this is his sixth time. So, you know, if, if after this he's two and four, I know we want to call LeBron one of the greatest ever. He's won four MVPs. It really is phenomenal what he's done with this team. But when you compare him to the greats of the game, like Michael Jordan, I, I don't know how you get over the I'm two and four and he's six and oh in the finals. I hear you there. And what's interesting to me is that it, the idea that there's a bad side to getting to the NBA Finals is pretty counterintuitive. But for LeBron, they go into this season. When he writes that letter with Lee Jenkins of Sports Illustrated saying what he's going to do, he was real quick to temper expectations right. and set the, you know set the stage in a way where we didn't expect things like finals appearances in year one. They make some trades that paid off, make some moves. LeBron, I think his greatness – and his ability to make guys around him better, all that stuff happens, and here we are in the finals. I, I mean, but it is what it is. I couldn't agree with you more, and I do think, even as you know how it is, everybody's saying, all right, what do you predict? Well, I'm predicting Warriors in seven. But I keep going back to the LeBron factor and exactly what you're talking about because the difference between two and four and three and three is enormous. And not only that, but the idea – that LeBron, you know, given kind of the arc of his life and his story and how long we've been talking about this idea of him bringing a title to Cleveland, uh, I guarantee you the guy is going to be focused and determined to take out this Warriors team because he knows that there's no guarantee as good as that roster is that they'll be back next year or the year after. You know, he's going to want – he wants to go out and get it right now. Yeah, I mean, it's right in front of him. And like you said, his home state has been starving – for a long time. I, I think it's going six or seven. I take the Warriors as well. Um, I think the difference is, is that the West is so much tougher than the East and the yeah. Warriors winning 67 games in the West. I think if you put the, the Cavs in the East, or I mean in the West, I'm not sure if they would have gotten to this point, but you know, LeBron certainly is playing some tremendous basketball and you can never 
bet against him. So let me talk to you quickly about some of the NBA coaching hires, some interesting hires. So Scott Skiles in Orlando, Alvin Gentry in New Orleans, Tom Thibodeau, who was fired by the Bulls and is owed $9 million. He's a free agent. I would have thought that one of those teams would snapped him up, but uh, I guess not. Yeah, I mean, I was somewhat surprised by that, specifically with New Orleans and, and really Orlando, too. I mean, the Orlando thing, the word out of there was that their CEO, Alex Martins, um, you know, with the DeVos family that owns the team, that they had their eyes on Skiles from the very beginning. I mean, you remember the initial reports coming out that he was going to be the, the guy out in the front, and that never really changed. And you get the sense that this was more of an ownership business side decision with GM Rob Hennigan kind of going along with it um, than it was kind of a more conventional GM search or a coaching search rather. The New Orleans thing, you know, they just made a real clear choice between a candidate like Alvin Gentry, who is offensive minded, um, you know, gets a lot of well-deserved credit for some of what the Phoenix Suns accomplished in the later stages of the Steve Nash era. And, uh, and so that's the direction they go with Tom Thibodeau. They certainly considered him and thought about him, but they didn't, you know, they, they weren't thinking defense first. They were thinking about an up-tempo roster and a bunch of young guys that they want to run with. Anthony Davis being, you know, the preeminent gazelle in the NBA today. The guy just, you know, he's so good on the run. So that's where they were thinking. And, you know, and, and lo and behold, Tom Thibodeau is going to take his nine million and I'm sure it'd be just fine to, to wait for what comes next. But, Somewhat surprising. We thought that we knew he was going to be leaving Chicago. We just thought that there would probably be a trade of some sort to another team, or if they ended up firing like they uh, like they did, that somebody would scoop him up. Do you think there's a good fit out there that he's waiting for? I mean, the early kind of you know buzz on that front is just this situation that's probably worth monitoring with the Lakers, where. It seems like, you know, there's definite interest there, but they have also gone out of their way early on here to make it real clear that they're behind Byron Scott. He's not on the hot seat and he's their guy. So it becomes more of a, you know, what if the Lakers get, I mean, sitting there at number two in the draft. So they're going to get a really good player, whether it's Towns or Okafor or whatever direction they go. They've got their new young prospects. They got Julius Randle coming back. They got Kobe in what's probably his final season. And so if they just don't win any games and things are off to a really bad start halfway through the year, then it's, you know, are they thinking about firing Byron, maybe bringing Tom in? Um, beyond that, I don't know what the perfect fit might be. You know, you saw a real key coaching position get filled in Oklahoma City where there are a lot of eyes on that job in terms of Kevin Durant and his future. And, but obviously Billy Donovan's got that role and, and he's got a long-term deal. And so that's off the table. Um you know, but the industry inherently coaching wise is, you know, things come out of nowhere. And so who knows who can get fired early on next year. And Tom's certainly going to be on that short list of guys that, uh, that could be back in the league pretty soon. Just a few minutes left with Sam Amick. He covers the NBA for USA Today. Find him on Twitter at Sam underscore Amick. Okay. Big talk. And we talk about this all the time when I have you on the CBA is coming up in the not too distant future. The league is going to be flush with cash, so the salary cap is going to jump up to a projected $108 million. This is going to be an interesting summer for free agency. You've got guys like Kevin Love, LaMarcus Aldridge, Marcus Gasol, Dwayne Wade, who are on the market. I know it's case by case, but in general, do you think agents may advise their clients and say, look, 
take short-term deals, wait till the cap goes up, and then sign that long-term deal? Or are guys still going to grab the long-term money before the cap goes up? Well, I mean, it's a case-by-case thing. But right now, I think this could certainly change quickly over time. But right now, I'd say guys are grabbing the money. It's almost like there's a delayed effect when it comes to truly processing the money you're talking about, what it means. You know, if you take a guy like Kawhi Leonard, for example, who's going to be a restricted free agent this summer, all indications are that he is ready and willing to take a five-year max deal from the Spurs right now. And you could crunch the numbers and you could tell Kawhi, hey, if you did a two-year deal with an opt-out, something like that, then, you know, you could stand to make X amount more. I don't know the number, but it's a lot. But there's still, you know, injuries and things like that are always weighing heavily on a guy's mind. And, the you know, the whole kind of factor of you never know what could happen. So I think that's the way most young guys are right now. But kind of like a Marcus Gasol type, maybe that could be different. You know, is he young enough where he wants to say he decides that he wants to ride it out in Memphis? You do a short-term deal knowing that you could have quite the windfall in a couple of years. You stay in Memphis on a two plus one and then re up either there if you guys get the job done or you move somewhere else at that time. Um, I think the more, you know, the, 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 the higher the guy is on the free agency short list, you higher the odds of him maybe being a little bit risky and going that route. But for the most part, I think guys, if they can get a longer term deal, they will. Sounds like Kevin Love is on record saying he's staying in Cleveland. Do you believe him? I don't know. I got a few calls to make on that front to to decide how much I believe him. I mean, it's not every day you see a guy repeatedly make these kinds of statements publicly rather than either dodging the topic or having some answer that is left open to interpretation. I mean, he's fielding very direct questions from reporters, you know, saying, okay, uh, you're talking about Cleveland, right? You're going to be in Cleveland first game of next year and you know, looking people dead in the eye and saying, yes, sir. You know, so, um, you know, I, I, I have to kind of believe him on face value, but, you know, who knows? Maybe he's already decided that, you know, if he winds up opting in, it's kind of like we talked about. He knows, for one, that, you know, maybe he just doesn't want the Cleveland chapter to end this way. If you can go ahead and log one more season that has a postseason involved, you can get that stigma off of you that you're not a playoff player. Uh, you can actually – take part in next year's playoffs if, if you're not injured like you were this year. Uh, you know, and then you got a lot of flexibility, and, and he's still plenty young at that point to get a heck of a deal. So I don't know if he's going to go that route, but it's it's odd how the – I can't remember another instance where there was such a gap between what a guy says and what people around the league think that he'll probably do because there's still pretty loud rumblings that, you know, he could wind up in L.A. or Boston or one of those places and not in Cleveland. Dwayne Wade, do you think he gets it worked out with the Heat? I don't have a great feel on that one, Brian. I mean, it's, it, you know, so at, at, I'll say at 15,000 feet, 20,000 feet, you know, I, I feel like Dwayne is at a stage of his career where it's uh, smart to do a certain level of posturing to get the kind of deal done that you want. And he probably wishes it didn't have to be that way, given his history with the Heat. But it kind of is what it is. He's had injuries that have plagued him last few years, and, and his age and his miles are what they are. He knows that. So if I got to handicap it one way or the other, then I'd say, yeah, they, I mean, the history between him and that organization tells us they'll get it done. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he played good enough basketball last year that 
he's he can create the kind of leverage that we probably didn't think he could create, you know, going into the season last summer because uh I mean he was good this year and he, the efficiency was there, the productivity was there, and he wasn't nearly as worn down as I think people thought he was gonna be. Well, and he may be the most popular Miami athlete that's ever played in the city. So He's yeah, got a little no bit question. of leverage there too. Last one, I've got to ask you this one because I'm in Portland. I'm hearing, you know, a few months ago, I would have bet, you know, 90% Lamarcus Aldridge was returning to the Blazers. He wants to be the greatest Blazer of all time and he's in line to do that. Statistically, he likes his teammates. They've surrounded him with some good players. But now in the last two months or so, I'm hearing that he may be one of those guys that wants to go home to Texas. I don't see him going to LA or New York or Chicago or Boston, but you know, Texas, I don't know. There's some interesting uh, correlations there because that's where he's from. He's also still close with Caleb Canales, who is on the Dallas Mavericks staff. Are you hearing anything about LaMarcus? Yeah, I mean, I would say, like you said, it, it seemed like it was a slam dunk, so to speak, a number of months ago. And even when Jason Quick of the Oregonian, actually I think it might have been Joe Freeman, was quoting LaMarcus on the record saying essentially that I can't wait to sign that five-year deal and telling people publicly that he was going to be in Portland for the long haul. Um, kind of like the Kevin Love thing, you had to believe him. But the difference being, he's been saying it, it with about a month ago, a month and a half before you actually had to make your decision. That was a while ago for LaMarcus. And what happened over time, and even he and I did a phone interview in February after he decided not to have surgery on his hand, um, I pushed him at the end and just kind of said, you know, i got to ask you about free agency. How do you see it? And all of a sudden, it was a politically correct answer that left every option open. Um, and then privately, you do hear that he's certainly strongly considering all options. And the Texas thing, I mean, that's got to be intriguing, man. You're talking about with the Mavs, a, an organization that still has a reputation for taking care of players. They, you know, even though the Rondo trade didn't work out this year, it showed that they were, you know, competitive in the front office, competitive with, you know, one of the best coaches in the game. Uh, they've got some good young talent, although, you know, Dirk didn't look very good this year and Monte could opt out, so we'll see how they look. That one's interesting, and then the Spurs one is, to me, even more interesting. I mean, if Tim Duncan is sitting there looking at you saying, hey, young fella, come follow my footsteps, if you have the right makeup, or not the right makeup, if you have a certain makeup, and that doesn't just intimidate you back into your hole, then uh, then I think that would be intriguing. I mean, in his game and the idea of LaMarcus, partnering up with Kawhi Leonard and guys like that. I mean, that's got to be intriguing, too. Uh, and I think you're right. I think the Lakers would love to have him. I know for a fact, I mean, they are just crossing their fingers that maybe they could pull something like that off. You know, Kobe would love to have him. Um, even heard recently, and this was just kind of rumor mill stuff, but that the LeBron and the Cavs, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, of course they would want him. He's a heck of a player, but I hadn't heard him tied to that situation at all until recently, but there was you know, some number crunching on the cap side, just how could we pull this off? Um, so his market is there, and uh, and I'm with you. I think it does sound like, you know, potentially, don't know yet, but potentially maybe he's not in Portland next year. Well, I'll tell you two things to look into, and, and I'm sure, you know, as you're covering this, uh, these will be interesting. One, and he's very close with Wes Matthews. So I've been told by some people that if San Antonio – were to bring Wes Matthews along too, who obviously is coming off of the, uh, you know, the surgery, the, the serious surgery, then, you know, that might be more enticing to get LaMarcus as well. 
The other thing that I don't think you can underestimate is Arne Tellum and Neil O'Shea, the Blazers GM, very, very close. They have a close relationship yeah. dating back for a long, long time. So, you know, if you're the Blazers, you've got to feel pretty good about that because A, you can offer more money and B, there's that good relationship with the agent. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this turns out. No, I mean, you're on the right track there. That's the one part I love about it's not just an NBA thing, but pro sports in general. It becomes this connecting of the dots where relationships are always coming into play and always having a, an actual influence on the way these things end up going down. So a lot to consider, and it'll be a wild times in July for sure. Well, Sam Amick, thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Does a great job covering the NBA for USA Today. Follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Amick. You've got a podcast out too, don't you? The A to Z podcast? I do. We've been doing it for a couple months now. My uh, my cohort, Jeff Zilgit, who's based back in Washington, D.C., we get on the horn and chat with our NBA editor, Kevin Spain, and kind of chop it up. We've been having fun during it during the uh, doing it during the playoffs and trying to share some different interviews that we get in whatever arena we're at that week. So it's been good, man. Trying to do it. You know how it is. You wear a lot of hats these days. No, I like it, and it's on iTunes, so everyone should uh, subscribe to the A to Z podcast from uh, USA Today. Sam, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You got it, Brian. Thanks, man. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR, powered by Postano, after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. I want to thank our guest, Sam Amick from USA Today. Does a great job covering the NBA. Steve Skinner, the CEO of Kemper Sports. Can't wait to watch the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay, especially after the insight Steve provided us with. So thanks to him. I want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Doug Zanger and Diane Penny, who's our VP of Partnership Solutions. If you want to be a partner with Sports Business Radio, you want to display your product or have your executives come on our show and talk more about what you're doing in the sports business space, reach out to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Thanks to our friends at Pistano for powering Sports Business Radio. Follow them online at Pistano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes. 
Type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 100 business news podcast. You can also find our show via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, or you can always just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 100 sports business must-follows on Twitter for 2014 by Forbes. So honored to be on that list. I got to tell you, I went and saw... Entourage, the movie, with our former producer Bobby Corser this last week. I highly recommend it. Very funny. If you like the HBO series Entourage, you'll love the movie. Lots of sports cameos in the movie. Mark Cuban, Russell Wilson, Gronk, our friend Baron Davis. So lots of sports flavor to the movie as well. But I thought it was great. Go see Entourage. And that's my tip of the week for you. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pastano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pastano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pastano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com.